It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yes, that's right. It's Mole Patrol. Mole Patrol. We're back for another round of Mole Patrol. The hey, hey, Josh, 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 um, Josh Jess is stepping on my intro. What's going I, on? I'm stepping on your intro because you're not supposed to be here this week, Josh. We gave you the week off. What? Uh, we're giving you a little bit of extra time to kind of this. What is happening here? Well, you haven't been added on Twitter, but in your absence, we've been reaching out to folks for feedback so we could talk about all the spoilers we haven't been talking about. Wait a second. Am I in the spoiler show? Yeah, you're in the spoiler zone. Oh, God. Get out. Wait a second. So this is the Mole Patrol podcast. It's just it's the all spoiler edition. We are seven or so episodes into the first season of the show, and we're taking a quick break this week to not advance and talk about another episode, but you two are going to be speaking without me about all of the spoilers from the mole for the people who've seen all, all of the mole and want to know the spoilers if they haven't seen the mole and you're just going to talk about it from that perspective and so I shouldn't be here? That's exactly what we're saying. All right, well, then I'm going to leave. See ya. Oh, okay. Peace. Bye. <laughs> okay, well, now he's right. gone. Yeah, well then. Let's get to it. Spoilers ahoy. Um, once again, for those of you tuning in who are on your first watch of the mole and have been on this journey with Josh, I cannot stress enough that you need to get your ass out of here. Turn off the podcast. If you want to download it and then delete it without listening to it so that we get the credit for the download, that's great. We appreciate it, but do not listen any further. We are going to spoil the entire show and probably most of the next season as well. And you do not want to be here if you are deriving any kind of delight from your from your unblemished experience of watching this show in real time. Yes, if you, like Josh, miraculously don't know what's going to happen in the next two episodes of this show... And couldn't understand Josh speaking at hyperspeed because maybe you're listening to this fast. And usually he intentionally speaks slowly so you can understand what he's saying, even if you listen quickly. You should leave. If you don't want to be spoiled, you got to go. It's time for you to go. You should already be gone. Yeah. How many people have to tell you? Anderson Cooper is waiting by the car to carry your bags and escort you into the car because you. 
you should not be here. Uh, just in case we all sound like the micro machines man right now, get out. Leave the tribal council area immediately. Yes. Um, you have been eliminated from the spoiler <laughs> podcast. I think that's, I think that's all we got. That that's that's enough for now, Zed. Um, so spoilers. We're just gonna dump all the spoilers on you right now. Um, Stephen is the winner. Catherine is the mole. And if you listened this far, even though we told you not to, sorry, you are spoiled. And I think we need to take some time in this spoilerific podcast to just talk this all through. Like, what has it been like for you to watch Josh get a lot of this right? Surprising and annoying because I had no idea. I mean, I, as has been stated, I was a kid when I watched this show and I was devastated that Catherine was the mole because I wanted a woman to win and to find out that she was the mole this whole time after I had been rooting for her, after she was the only woman left. I was so upset. And for Josh to clock it from like the first or second episode and be like, I don't know. I think it's Catherine. I'm probably definitely wrong, but I'm sticking with Catherine. And that he has not wavered from that point this whole time. He's going to be so right. And I'm going to be so upset about it. We are never going to live this down. Well, until he gets it completely wrong in subsequent seasons, of course. Yeah. I don't think he's going to guess that Steven wins, though. Because no. that really comes out of nowhere. And that is something I think that's one of the feedback questions I think we're going to address in this podcast. Um, I do not think anyone could have guessed from watching the show. I think is getting the clear winners edit here. And if anybody has to guess as, as to who's going to win, like even if you haven't seen the latest episode, like nobody's going to guess Charlie's going to win. Like he's the no. Rudy of the series. Uh, but. Jim is the Richard Hatch if Charlie's the Rudy and Steven yeah. is like I, in Steven character is the, and in edit parallels really and I yes. think our judgment is clouded in a lot of ways now from having watched 20 years of Survivor and various other reality TV shows to be looking for a winner's edit um, and so that's really interesting because it, I don't know that it was necessarily done that way when they made the show, like clearly you're telling a story and you want to mislead people so that it's not obvious that Catherine is the mole. But the the idea of a winner's edit, I don't think was necessarily ensconced in television yet at this point in time. That is very true. Although I think we would be remiss if we did not mention at this point and PS, we're going to spoil some other shows for you. <laughs> so if you haven't seen season one of survivor, I don't know why you're listening to shows on the How Robin did Podcast you find Network. us? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. There's probably some Andy Coop super fans that just kind of absorb from the ether, everything True. that has him in it. Hi but, friends. Welcome. Yes. We're, we're happy. However you got here, we are happy you're here, but I think we do need to mention that in episode one of season one of Survivor, there is a quote from Richard Hatch where he says, you might as well fill out the check with my name on it right away because I'm going to win the show. And for years, anytime you asked Mark Burnett about that season, he would bring that up like, 
oh yeah, we were creating a winner's edit this whole entire time. And I always wondered about that. Was he really, did he really have that much of a grasp on how you needed to foreshadow a story like this when reality TV was in its infancy? Or did it just make him look really smart to throw that in there? And he was very deliberate about putting it in there so that he could keep referring back to it. Because you're right, I do not think at this point in time, reality TV creators and editors had such a grasp on how you kind of ease these little pieces of story out along the way. And we will talk about this vis-a-vis the mole as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's from a different time, you know? Yeah. It's, it's very much a product of its era. And it's another one of those things where, when you listen, like for, in music, for example, when you listen to music that is influential on later music, it's hard to get your mind around nothing else sounded like this when it came out. Like nothing else right. sounded like Bob Dylan when Bob Dylan came out. And now right. so many things after him sounded like it. But if you're just listening to Bob Dylan with your access to the entire past 50 years of American popular music, you're like, eh, he's okay. So yeah. this is kind of like, I think, Season one Survivor, season one Amazing Race, The Mole, like all of that early era stuff. Like we're watching Bob Dylan through the lens of somebody that's listened to everything that came after. Right. I think that's a very good metaphor. It's hard to imagine now what it would be like to put that story together without having a map for how you write a story, basically, in this context. And I want to call up some feedback right now because I want to give a shout out to the great Justin Feinberg who wrote us some really wonderful emails about this kind of very subject and one of the things he says is I'm very impressed as are we Justin that Josh correctly guessed Catherine is the mole right away and for reasons that have nothing to do with how the show presents her in the end or any of her sabotages but wow is he going to be surprised when in a Jim Catherine Stephen final three Stephen is the winner because years of survivor watching are probably going to clue him in that Jim has the winner's edit. And I think Josh said something about this and we got feedback about this very early on. I can't remember from who, um, but that just right down to both Richard and Jim talking about game mechanics and getting kind of meta about it at this very early stage are parallels between the two. And I tried to be very careful as we were talking about Jim in the early days and making those parallels because I didn't want it to seem like I was spoiling that Jim was the winner, uh, which obviously you can't do because he's not. But (laughs) but it's tricky because you don't want it's like, well, obviously, then Jim's not the winner because I'm saying so obviously these things. So you have to do kind of like this backwards dance to not spoil things that aren't even true. Well, can I make a confession? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's been, it's been, you know, the full 20 years since I have revisited this series on the level that we are revisiting it now. Like I might've sure. watched like specific challenges every so often. Like I would dig them up and watch, you know, I'd watch the amazing Kate moment or I'd watch the, <laughs> I'd watch Charlie getting checked by the bull. But I will be honest when we first started watching this, I had completely forgotten who the winner was myself. I always Mm -hmm. knew who the mole was. And I remembered that Charlie went out before the finale because good riddance to bad rubbish. But I had, I was also for the first three or four episodes under the impression that Jim had won. 
That's and so I had funny. forgotten that Stephen had won. Yeah. It's, I did a full rewatch, I think, a couple weeks before we formally started the podcast because I wanted to be ready when we came into our preview show and have enough of a fresh recollection that I could talk intelligently. Uh, <laughs> we just got notes from Josh in the chat, even though Josh is long gone. The ghost of Wiggler's past <laughs> comes in the right afterlife. Attention. In the afterlife. <laughs> That's a joke he, he, just for just, us. He just pulled his camera up very briefly so he could shake his head at us. And then he peaced out. Stop watching us on mute, Wiggler. <laughs> so weird. This it's is not my weird. brother. We're talking about the mole. Oh, yeah, this, this is, is not the ghost mode. Good. Goodbye, Josh. In fact, I'm going to tell him that. This is not the big brother feeds. <laughs> Uh, okay. Anyway, back to what we were discussing. Right. Even Ghost Josh derailing us from managing to derail the podcast without even being here. He's incredible. not even listening. Incredible. He's sending he's us on a tangent, listening. and he's not even listening. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> <laughs> it's very difficult to keep going while he keeps talking in the chat. It is, it is very difficult. But let's uh, let's soldier on and we'll speak a little bit longer. We can do longer. it. We can do yeah. it. So when you were rewatching a couple of weeks before we launched this very podcast, uh, was there anything that jumped out at you as things that you thought we would notice just because we have two decades of reality TV watching experience under our belt? Uh, I don't know, because since this is, I've been listening to the podcast for a few years, but since this was my first time watching a show to analyze it and talk about it, I think it took me a couple of weeks of having, you know, the guidance of Josh's prompting questions to really get into commentary on that level. Um, so I watched the series through and I took some basic notes on, you know, what looks like sabotaging behavior from all of the characters and just some basic, these were the challenges, these are the results. Um, but I didn't think about it from such a like editing narrative lens until we all really got into talking about it together. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. And it's something also I have the tendency to watch these things and then take like pages and pages of copious notes and be thinking, oh, we're going to bring that up. We're going to be talking about this for a long time. And then Josh starts talking about sandwiches and we never get to it, which (laughs) isn't to say we aren't covering this comprehensively because we absolutely are. But it it is one of those things like I think I think preparation is you know, it's it's very important, but then you got to be prepared for none of your preparation to actually apply to what you're doing. Yeah, it's like improv. You got to do the work and have the muscles ready to go. And then whatever is going to happen will happen and you will react to it. And we'll talk about food and politics and Anderson Cooper's other endeavors and various other reality shows. And somewhere in there, we'll cover 40 minutes of the mole in yes. our hour and a half of talking. I, the best podcasts are the ones where you're discussing a finite amount of television and you cover at least twice that much ground. I think so. I am very much in agreement with that. 
All right. So Zed, should we go into some more of our listener feedback? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what we're here to do. All right. So I want to go to this question um, from LER because this is a topic that I think we've started to briefly touch on and it becomes much more important as we're covering season two. But the topic of the coalitions, which is the name that Mm. you just know that 53 times per episode, production had to stop tape and tell them, "Okay, say that again. But instead of the word alliance, use the word coalition. So I'm going to read this question from L.E.R. and we can talk about this. Um, This is obviously my first time watching the show, but I'm going at a much faster pace than your podcast. And I just finished season one. So good. We might spoil a little too for you, Ellie, (laughs) and I apologize for that. Uh, My question that I'm hoping you can shed some light on is something that you have barely mentioned on the podcast, and that is the idea of coalitions. In the finale, they say that Jim and Steven had a coalition since the beginning. However, the show doesn't show this until like episode five or six. On Survivor and even on Amazing Race, where alliances are less important, are less important, the shows always spend a lot of time on alliances. And it seems like something that helped Steven win the game. Do you think having a coalition is something that helps the players in this game? And if so, why are coalitions not being shown? And also, as I move into season two, should I expect to not see coalitions, even if they exist, or will they start showing them? So I think this is a really great question, and I think that speaks to what we were just talking about, which is uh, that when they were creating the show and when they were when they were trying to build a narrative arc, they didn't know what was important. They didn't have the wealth of knowledge that we have now looking back on it. So I think that is my theory as to why we don't get a lot of coalition talk. But what are your thoughts on this, Zed? I completely agree. Um, I think that. Uh, for the I, the end of the question is, are we going to see more of that in future seasons? And I think we do. Um, I don't have a great memory of the other seasons at this moment, but I think they talk about it a little more. Uh, at the same time, I think the players are also ca- very cagey about it. Uh, even in their confessionals, they're like, mm, we're sharing some information. I had a few notes that I gave and somebody else gave me a few notes. But if they got to go, they got to go. And I don't want to put all my knowledge eggs in one basket. Um, So that is sort of a unique dynamic of this show in particular. Um, But I think it'll be tracked better in future seasons compared to how it was in season one. Yes, that is also my recollection. I feel like I didn't even recall the word coalition coming up in season one, Mm -hmm. but I felt like every other scene in season two had something to do with a coalition. (laughs) And you have people that are banding together and talking about how they don't really trust the other person, but they need to share information and pool their resources. And I think in at least one instance, and I don't, I'm going to speak in broad strokes here. There's an instance where somebody is not part of a coalition and it really contributes to them leaving the game in the way that they leave the game. Right. Um, so I think there's a lot more social game as you move forward. And as the show sort of figures out how much social game they should inject into telling the story of who the mole is. Yeah. And I think that's such an interesting part of it. You know, the challenges take up 
not a huge portion of time comparatively on these episodes. You have a lot of, well, now we're sitting at dinner having this conversation and what am I learning from this conversation and whose behavior seems suspicious outside of those specific moments? Because I think also in future seasons, there will more often be sort of hidden challenges that are not the specific tests that they're passing for money. Um, you know, more who took the last piece of cake or who happened to sit in this seat. Well, now there's a note in your napkin and that means something is about to happen to you specifically. Uh, and so in that way, while the game is always going in this season also, I think that gets heightened even more in the future seasons. And then your relationships to other people matter more because it's so much about your observational skills and more eyes are more eyes. And then the question becomes, how much do you trust what other people are telling you they saw? Yeah, that's that's a really great observation, I think. Um, and something that I, I think this kind of leads into the next thing I wanted to talk about. I think one thing that we have not really discussed very much on this podcast is that there are a number of people who could plausibly win the game because they know who the mole is pretty early on and they share the information with people to try to confirm their suspicions. And then the other people in their coalition know who the mole is. But one thing we we haven't really discussed at all and something that I had in fact forgotten was when you take the quiz, if you are tied for last place with somebody else. If you have the same number of answers wrong as somebody else, it then goes to whoever completed the test more quickly. So right. this becomes a thing where you could be getting a perfect score every week, but you might still get eliminated if everybody else is also getting a perfect score. Right. Test taking is not a, not a perfect metric for how smart someone is. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> and I say that as someone who's very good at taking tests, but I am aware that doesn't work for everybody. Me too. Me too, Zed. I, I, um, <laughs> you know, there's a, I, can't, I can't remember which season it is, but in one of them, I think there's at least three separate eliminations where they have a tie and the person who goes home is the person with the slower time. So it becomes, you know, a risk reward situation of how how much do I take my time to think about my answers and remember and check my notes if they're if they're allowed to check their notes? I don't even know. I don't think if they it's are. Like an open book test of have your journal with you or not. Um, but how much time do I spend trying to remember the answer to this question versus going with a gut instinct? to just try and finish more quickly, which is certainly some people's strategy of like, at least if somebody else is also very wrong, I know I'll be faster than they were. Yeah. That is really interesting to me. Um, do they actually ever say when there's a tie? I'm trying to remember. It's been a while since I've seen this in action, but I feel like it has been mentioned at some point that there was a tie and like the person with the slowest time goes home. Yeah. I think it may not be until season five mm -hmm. uh, or it may be next season. Cause I picture in my brain Anderson saying it, but yeah. maybe that's, maybe I've just superimposed him over all other hosts. of <laughs> He is the only host. Of I, I feel like I can picture Anderson <laughs> saying just about anything that comes out of anybody else's mouth. Right. <laughs> um, so I think they do say, and tonight we have a tie. Mm -hmm. 
because uh, that, that'll give you a little bit of a hint, maybe, if you're not sure how well, because you don't know how well you did. You either yeah. know that you went home or you didn't. You could have had the best score. You could have had the second worst score. You could have had the worst score, but a better time. And you don't know until the end. Yeah. So uh, that actually leads me into, I want to read this, um, this pretty long piece of feedback that we got from Andy H who um, had some thoughts on the quiz. So this is something I think we're already answering a few of his questions, but I think it's worth bringing up all the points that he makes so we can kind of dive into them a little bit more specifically. But he says, I just finished watching season two for the first time. And in that season, Anderson reads the quiz questions each episode. I think the quiz questions are crazy difficult and I would have no chance at accurately answering them. And I was wondering if you could discuss potential quiz strategies you might employ. We don't get many, maybe not any confessionals about quiz strategy. My thought was that there is no doubt Charlie, Jim, and Steven all know who the mole is by the end. And same with there. I thought there's no doubt that X, Y, and Z know who the mole is. <laughs> In season two, yeah. Yes, in season two. But then those three each choose a different mole right before the reveal. And this is all to say that I was shocked to find that they were splitting quiz answers between multiple people that late in the game. Is this how they do on the quiz or is it just the lowest score slash lowest time loses? Right. So we've answered the that final question. Yes. Um, in regards to the rest of it, I... I have recollections of a player in season five talking about their quiz strategy. I can't recall in season two specifically. I don't think it gets talked about a lot. It's definitely not that interesting to the makers of the show, how the people are taking the quiz. Um, But the journals do become very valuable. It becomes a whole production of getting the journal of maybe trading the journals of don't leave your journal lying around. that I think will matter because copious note-taking certainly becomes important uh, as the seasons of the show progress. Yeah. I think there is a moment, I believe in a future season where they're going to swap journals and the mole is like, Oh shit, I didn't write anything in my journals. (laughs) And so the mole then has to come up with a bunch of total nonsense to put in their journal before the journals get swapped. Which, yeah, it had been. I think they they say at the end the journal had been empty the night before, and then production told them, "Hey, tomorrow we're going to do this thing. So could you uh, could you please put some stuff in here? <laughs> that's sort of going to be a giveaway." Yeah, and this is why production has to occasionally uh, tip the mole off on various items, right? Uh, but. I believe uh, to answer Andy's other questions, um, I do not think the players ever get to know how they do on the quiz uh, because I think that's a different game. Uh, so if you yeah. are, for instance, you could figure out pretty quick, you have 10 questions on your quiz and you go three, three and four and split your answers on people. And then they tell you, oh, you got seven questions wrong. That gives you information. If you right. got six questions wrong, you know that the person you gave four answers to is the mole. You start filling out a little logic puzzle of who fits the criteria for each of the answers until you figure out which one is correct. Um, yes. Yeah, I don't think they ever get to know how they did. 
until in the finale, they'll sometimes reveal, you know, who was tied that night and who almost went home or who would have gone home if they didn't get an exemption, that sort of thing. Yeah. And that's something. And again, one of the things I really like about the way the mole is structured is that we do get to go back and revisit a lot of these key moments and we get more information after we know the answers. Yeah. And explaining I, the, the whodunit is maybe my favorite part. I, I think it's fantastic, even though 90% of the whodunit clues make absolutely zero sense. They love the number four on the mole. Let me tell you that much. Yeah, they sure do. Mole has four letters. Um, yeah. yeah, and this is one of these, this is a, a couple of questions we have related to this exact thing. And I'm going to start with Willie from Michigan, who says, I'm wondering if a modern day mole could be made, would there be some dramatic value in revealing partway through the season who the mole is to the audience? In the original version, there's both the water cooler, cooler topic of who's the mole as well as who's going to win. And by episode six, it looks like Jim has figured out Catherine is the mole and shared this information with Stephen, while Kate thought it was either Catherine or Jim. And this was definitely Catherine's moliest episode so far. <laughs> Catherine's confessionals made me wonder if people would be interested in knowing who the mole is and seeing their reactions and feelings as they pick and choose where to throw challenges, how to deflect attention, what the producers actually help with, etc. I'm sure it would also be funny to see what accusations of molish behavior are completely off base that the mole and audience could laugh at together. Maybe it could be a side series on CBS All Access or some equivalent. I doubt any network would want to spoil the reveal to the audience, but if they knew it was going to be watched during a pandemic quarantine 20 years in the future, <laughs> uh, maybe they'd record it. <laughs> I think this would be really interesting if they ran the season like a regular season of television. And then ran it a second time, almost like pop-up video or lost mm. style with like, you know, annotated at the bottom to draw your attention to what's going on. Because we're kind of doing that in our own way now where we know what to look for and what happened and can catch things that you don't see on an initial watch. Um, but I think if you spoil it at all ahead of time, then you've ruined your reveal for later. And they do talk about, you know, what the mole did in the finale. They'll go back and show you where the mole was successful and where they weren't and where people were way off base at least a couple of times versus when people were on to the mole very early. If I recall correctly, Charlie was the first person to clock Catherine as the mole from the very first quiz. And then he That's changed right. his mind. Somebody yes. got him to change his mind in the episode where he goes home. Well, and that's an interesting piece of strategy, too, that um, if you know who the mole is and you're pretty sure somebody else also knows who the mole is, can you kind of get into their head and make them think it's somebody else? Right. I think either by making them think you are the mole or by kind of shifting their suspicions onto somebody else by saying, hey, you know, we're in a coalition together and I think that person is the mole. I think that's an another interesting way to do it but yeah to willie's point i i don't think you want to see this in real time but i do love the idea of after the fact having a really deep dive because like you said the best part of this series is watching that final episode where they tell you who the mole is and then they go back and they say here's why you should have seen it in this episode here's what they did here that should be a lot longer and maybe it should be a whole series long yeah the getting everything from the perspective of the mole. And I'm interested to read 
the season two moles book. I don't know how much of season two we want to spoil or not at this point. Yes. Uh, but I'm, I want to read it because I, that's so interesting to me. It's like learning about things from both a player and production's perspective. And so if you're listening to this kind of podcast, you're probably at least somewhat into the production side of things and figuring out what's going on behind the scenes. Um, so that kind of stuff is very interesting to me and a whole sideshow of let's look, it, it's like DVD special features. And I think some people have written into us about, you know, behind the scenes stuff on DVDs that were particularly popular <laughs> when DVDs were new yes. at the turn of the millennium. 20 years ago. Yeah. God, we're old. Um, I'm much older than you. Uh, but I, I think in the age of CBS all access, when you can build out an interactive feature, right? And it would make a lot of sense to drop it onto a streaming service and then have like little pop-ups. I'm going to talk about, uh, I saw a documentary series on Amazon prime a few weeks ago. Um, I was doing a guest appearance on a, podcast called the blotter presents which is a true crime podcast and we watched this documentary on amazon prime called the last narc and oh. it was just like it was eight hours of massive info dump mm-hmm. of just like all these little branches of information you could go on like who is this guy and you know why was he important to the story and where did this come from what what where's the what's the terminology behind this and the filmmaker had so much extra stuff that Amazon X-Ray ended up being a really valuable tool because you could pause it, click on Amazon X-Ray, and it would explain, like, here is all of the context behind, like, they go on a side tangent about Oliver North and around Contra. And so then you can click on it. It's like, oh, here is what we're talking about here. Oh, wow, Here's your, yeah. like, bullet points summary of why why the Nicaraguan civil war was important to the Mexican drug trade. And you can make those connections without having to stop the documentary and go on a whole episode about that. Mm -hmm. So this was, I think I've never seen Amazon x-ray used in quite this way, like with quite this much detail. And I feel like that is exactly what the mole needs. Like you need to have a, you need to have a spoiler overlay that you can put if you're rewatching it and then you can pause it and it'll go into like, oh, at this point here, Catherine said she needed to sit down and make a phone, make another phone call to take money out of the pot. Uh, and at this point here, Anderson is holding Catherine's duffel bag while he talks about who the mole might be. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think from that standpoint, like that's what I want to see. I want to see the series get picked up by Amazon Prime so that you can overlay all of this extra information. <laughs> and I think this is probably not a side project that would make Amazon or anybody else any money. But you know what, Jeff Bezos, you have enough money. So like just funnel money. a couple million dollars into putting this together. I'll do it for you. Like pay me, pay me a right. hundred thousand dollars to put this together for you and I'll do it. And then, you know, it's a public good. Agreed. A hundred percent agreed. And that's not even money to him. That's, yeah. That's, that's like, like doing it for free. He could pull it out of the couch cushions. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, there's probably a lot of better things he could do with that money, but that's a good thing. He could do, he could do those things too. He has, yes. he could do all of those things. He could do all of the things and still have more money than God. So yes. yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um, this is right for Amazon X-Ray. The search for the mole will resume after a quick word from our sponsors. 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And now we're back to resume the patrol. I think this also segues very nicely into Michael Kay's question, um, which is really absurd and ridiculous, but also really not because this is the mole. Um, and he says, I want to ask whether just saying that somebody paid the price was intentional in episode two. As I'm sure you know, in episode five, Andy Coops says that Henry paid the price in episode four. He- Episode 4E of Wandoff Land. Yes, a clue to Catherine Price being the mole, which has four letters. I'm not sure whether your goal was to incept Josh into saying that phrase, but he (laughs) did, and it was magical. I'm hoping that clip makes its way into the final retrospective episode because we all know Josh doesn't remember what he says on podcasts. That would be a fun moment, assuming it doesn't break him. (laughs) And Michael, I want to say... That Josh is not the only one who doesn't remember what he says on podcasts. No one does. Literally no one does. Literally no one does. Uh, but I will say that I had done some reading about what some of the clues were ahead of watching the episodes. Uh, actually, it happened while I was watching episode one and I saw Anderson holding up that damn duffel bag. And I was like, oh, I bet that's one of the clues. And then I looked him up and it was like the only one of the clues that you could possibly have spotted if you weren't already aware of who the mole was and looking for them. And I think the more one of the more ridiculous ones is um, Andy Coop saying that Henry paid the price. It's like, does, you know. Does Josh know what Catherine's last name is? I'm going to say no. Doubtful. I, I'm going to say I, the only person whose last name I could probably come up with, I could come up with Jim because his last name is Morrison and that's hilarious. Yes. And I could come up with Catherine because I know this stupid pay the price thing, but it was probably in my head and I probably did say it. And then I probably inadvertently incepted josh into saying it back and at that point i may have realized what i had done and i agree that is a little bit magical if you know all of this context and you know that this clue is coming up but i i assure you i'm not like trying to get into josh's head here because if i were i would probably be trying to steer him away from his maddeningly accurate early guess so infuriating (laughs) so infuriating but if we're going to, you know, take on the style of these clues for future seasons, we'll have to figure out how to work in somebody's, you know, phone area code that's in one screenshot of the title sequence of the show. Because it's that kind of level of, of well, obviously, if you pa- if you freeze frame right here, you can see these three numbers falling through the screen. 
those three numbers are for the area code of where the mole lives. <laughs> yes. Sure. Great. Let me just throw those numbers into our into our podcast. And I mean, later on, I think television does get to this level. And this is something I want to bring it up with Josh later on once he knows who the mole is, because this was the level of TV watching. I don't think anybody was at this level at this time, although there were some moments where, again, not to bring up season one of Survivor too much, because that's what everybody's talking about this week. But in an early episode of season one of Survivor, they put a one second shot in the opening credits of a post-merged tribal council. And people were able to screenshot it and say, oh, I can identify eight of these 10 people. And so I know who gets kicked off a survivor and people were doing that, but you really don't see people getting that nitty gritty about it on a huge level until you get to Josh's favorite show of all time lost, Mm -hmm. which had this whole side quest right around season two and three where people were screenshotting things and going to URLs based on things they find in the source code of the official website. Yeah. And going into that. In the real world and you had to get a candy bar and there were 700 different things all over the globe or something. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was, I, I, I believe, you know, you end up getting a golden ticket. Right. <laughs> right. Going into the factory. That might be something different, but yes. But to follow some whole side story that was adjacent to the story that was happening on television. Yes. And it was, it got really like you would, you know, de-encrypt a series of seemingly random characters to get a sound clip that sent you the next thing. And it was like that cicada scavenger hunt from a couple of years ago. Um, So People do get there eventually, but I think in these early seasons of The Mole, nobody is doing that. And I no. recall going on like uh, what was then the Mighty Big TV message boards, uh, which later became Television Without Pity, which later became Previously.TV. Um, and now these same forums live on on Primetimer.com, where I am an occasional contributor. But back in the day, you would go on these message boards and nobody was doing that on that level. Right. Like they didn't know to look for those clues in the same way that we know to look for them now. And they also wouldn't have that information at their fingertips because that's not really how the Internet worked back then. Nor was it how television worked back then. You know, stuff was on TV and you either set up your VCR to record it hopefully at the right time, hopefully on the right channel, and hopefully news didn't cause it to start late or whatever. Uh, and if, if you didn't watch it when it was on, you didn't watch it. Yeah. That's all there was. You weren't digitally recording it yet. There was no way to really pause, rewind live television or even recorded television beyond a physical VHS tape. Uh, so freezing and checking, you know, enhancing yeah. screen. Which you couldn't happening. do anyway because the picture quality was not great in 2001. It's a really funny era to be talking about how people watch television because I recall when season two of The Mole came along, the guy I was dating at the time, uh, one of the few people I know who watches more TV than I do, <laughs> and I don't know if he's listening, but hi, Ivan. Um, he... He was the first person I knew who had a TiVo and he got it like 
well after season two of The Mole came out. Yeah. And he didn't watch TV like that. It was just mostly because it enabled him to record even more shows at once for later consumption. Oh, and it was like, at the time, everybody I knew was like, why do you even need that? You have a VCR. Right. And so at this point, nobody had, like, and it was also very rare to have a digital copy of something. Like, nobody was watching anything on their computers either. Yeah. Which you'll maybe guess from the fact that we have been desperately asking for better copies of season two than what is on YouTube. And it is just, it's not out there, guys. It doesn't doesn't exist it really I, I think like the last surviving copy of season two of the mole is whoever's like you know set of six hour vhs tapes because it's like the worst possible quality right. and i've had a couple of people reach out to us and say hey i found it and it turns out to be australia season two or oh, no. hey we have it on vhs tapes ourselves but i can't promise the quality will be any better and right. so i want to know and, and again, this is something it was on one of the streaming services for a hot minute. Yeah. But I don't know. At that point, you probably couldn't rip it quite as easily as you could back in the day. Right. So where is it? ABC release the tapes. Yeah. Release the tapes. Um, it is, you know, probably the least important thing that I want the tapes released of, but <laughs> But it would bring us some joy, and joy is important. Joy is a rare commodity in the current age. It, it truly is. <laughs> so, again, I I appreciate people that are finding VHS rips of Season 2 of The Mole that might be 1% better. Um, I keep reaching out to us with that kind of stuff, uh, and someday we might find something pretty good. Uh, one thing I know is missing from the Season 2 YouTube version that is readily available and PS stop sending us that we know that exists. Um, the first like two minutes of the episode are cut off. Mm. So there's that as well. Um, I'd love for somebody to digitize that for us as well. So, yeah, I, I think the weird little clues that they drop in, it's almost like on the level of, Oh, we forgot to put the clues in. What can we cobble together? Oh wow! We said something about we said something about bulls liking the color red, and in episode eight, Catherine's wearing a red shirt, and that means she's the mole. It's like it's like trying to find Polly's dead clues on Beatles records. You could go back and find enough clues to prove that any of the Beatles are dead. Exactly. That's that's the other part of it for me. Is like they reveal these clues as if they are so obvious. But if you are looking for this level of detail, you can find, oh, was that a sign that Henry is the mole? Was that a sign that Jim is the mole? You could put together a case, you could put together a case for any of the players if you're specifically looking for it. Yeah, and I think they intended for people to do that, but the technology wasn't there yet. Right. So I, I guess in, in another sense, it is a very forward-looking show. Mm -hmm. in that regard but it's really like the clues are dumb and i think they okay. do get in subsequent seasons i i recall especially the 2008 reboot seemed to be a lot more obvious with the clues but it was also in a time when you could be that obvious right there's one thing that i remember they do specifically through technology uh 
that feels very extremely obvious once you know that it's there and maybe is also obvious on a first watch. We'll have to find out. Um, but I know next season, one of them is in one confessional, the mole was sitting in front of a painting that indicated their career. And it's like, <laughs> okay. Or maybe everybody was sitting in front of that painting. That was a point. Yeah. That was a pointer to that one specific person as if there are no paintings in any other rooms that they ever do confessionals in. Uh, we do move away from these like black void talking heads after this season. Yeah, which I think that's good too, because this black void talking heads just look like the Blair Witch Project to me. And they kind of give me the heebie jeebies. Did you just have an issue? I just had an issue. I had a slight issue. Okay. Um, so let's mark it at 46. I think it was like 4656. Uh, or 45. Yeah, 4556. I'll note that for gosh. Although if he's sending me the audio, I can probably fix it myself. Um, but anyway, okay, we'll pick that back up. Um, and I will say that the um the black void talking heads, I'm glad they got away from that because to be honest, they look like nothing so much as the Blair Witch Project, and it just sort of gives me the heebie-jeebies, and I don't know that that's necessarily the aesthetic they're shooting for. Right. It's like, ooh, this mystery is so creepy. I don't know. I don't feel safe talking to anyone outside of in the dark with a, like a flashlight under my chin. I don't want anyone to know that I'm talking to the producers right now. Um, yeah. It's a secret. Including the producers. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and, and like I might get murdered in my tent at any moment. Yeah, somebody just woke me up at two in the morning. I don't know what's <laughs> uh, the game is really starting to get to me. It's just, oh, was the mole at work today? I think they were. <laughs> it's just a very bizarre choice. It really is. And it's also anytime just tangentially anytime they complain on this show about the stress of the game getting yeah. to them like none of the things that would get to you on any other show right while like, you're sleeping in plush hotel rooms yes. eating your shrimp cocktail and maraschino cherries yes wearing clean clothes and showering regularly mm -hmm. and interacting with other people yeah it, it's kind of like I don't know, a, like, like maybe even like every other show has one of these things like, oh, Big Brother, you don't get to interact with anybody but the other people. Well, on the mole, you get to go around and talk to townspeople and you have social challenges and you get to see sites. And, you know, on Survivor, you can't take a bath or eat or sleep. Right. And you get to do all those things. And Amazing Race, you're constantly jet lagged. And sleeping in on the floor outside yes. of a place that's going to open at 6 a.m. or sleeping in an airport or sleeping on a crowded train. Yeah. And, um, and apart from a couple of very isolated incidents on the mole, like you have to sleep in a smart car while everybody else gets the five star resort. Right. Or we're all going to camp in tents right here that you don't even have to set up yourself. Well, we have a party for you. Yeah. Well, we bring in a live band and a plate of tapas. And lots of alcohol. Yes. I, I guess that's that's one thing I, I do enjoy is there's a lot of drunk people on this, on this series. Yeah. And I think they kind of it's the same way, like the, the way that they lubricate people with alcohol on The Bachelor because they're trying to get them to be more emotional and more open. Mm -hmm. 
but you get some very funny moments. Yeah, the show is lush. It's nice. You get to see these beautiful places like you do on The Amazing Race. They stay in these nice accommodations. You get to see these luxurious meals that they're eating. And then, you know, they go run through a cornfield or lock somebody up in a prison. Yeah, and I think this definitely feels like the kind of show where you get to where you get to play pure strategy all the time. And it's one of those like, you know, like the genius, that's kind of the same thing. Everybody gets to eat on the genius. Everybody wears fancy clothes on the genius and they're just pure strategy all the time, which is I think is something that appeals to me about this show. Yeah, I agree. There's not sensory deprivation in the, you know, you don't get to talk to your family for a few weeks. That's, that's about the extent of the hardship, I guess. Uh, and that bothers some people more than others. You know, Jim's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Seeing like, his ex. Yeah. The, the, hanging out. Yeah. He's like, I miss my ex, but I kind of miss him all the time anyway. So right. it's not different. Right. Yeah. So I, and that family visit thing, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but we don't get to see that repeated at any point. I don't think season two has one. Uh, I know season five does. I I think season two does also. They do it differently each time that they do it. Because um, one season, they have to describe their loved one without having seen them to somebody else. And then that somebody else has to look out at the piazza oh. and try and find them. And then in the other season, or maybe it's the same one, this is the part I can't remember, they are given a tap, uh, they, they're supposed to bungee jump, but only if their loved one said they would bungee jump. And if they match answers with their loved one, then they get to see their loved one. Um, so those are two things that I remember happening. I can't remember if they're in the same season or not. Uh, but it is more of a an endeavor than it is in this season where it's just okay, the six of you are going to agree on answers to questions and then all the people are going to be here. Which I think tracks. I think we've kind of learned over time that involving people that are not playing the game is always better if you let them play the game a little bit. Right. That's certainly how I feel on Survivor, for sure. Yeah. Like, let's not do a thing where everybody just picks a rock out of a bag and whoever gets the right rock wins the challenge. Like, that was... I I never want to see that again. No. Well, we may never see any survivor again. Fair point. Fair point, Zed. The halcyon days of the rock picking game. Or maybe I'll be wishing there was a rock picking game sometime exactly. in the near future. Like, you know, I, I would even rather watch Russell Hans right now. I don't think we'll ever get to that point. Probably not. Probably not. Okay. So I think the rest of our spoilerific feedback that we have to address is kind of more series overview, like broad strokes questions Mm -hmm. that I think we will also address at the end of the series when Josh knows how right he was and rubs it in our faces for 45 minutes. Then we can truck out these questions and ask them again. But I think it's worse. I think it's worth asking some of these and we'll start with. We'll start with Justin Feinberg, who has like maybe the most tailored to this show question. Um, he says, my feedback question is, which of the final remaining tests this season are you most looking forward to hearing Josh's reaction to and discussing with Josh? Mm. 
So for Josh specifically is the interesting part of that question. I, I look forward to Josh watching Charlie chase sheep. Uh, (laughs) That's something I have always remembered about this series. I can, I can hear Charlie saying he che, he che. (laughs) I think about this show. Um, So, well, and we'll get a Charlie impression out of that. So that'll be a good time. Yeah, I think we're going to need to have a mole soundboard that's just Josh going hiche hiche. <laughs> yeah. Um Josh might have quite a reaction to the three questions game too because those questions are pretty brutal and I think that's going to be upsetting for him. Yeah, that is true. Um and I like the um the getting locked in a room again very Blair Witchy final challenge the is escape room puzzle. Yeah. Yes. And that's another thing. People weren't doing escape rooms in two thousand one. Yeah. Someone asked us at one point, way too early, I think, uh, is this the first is this sort of the invention of the escape room in on this show because it is so early. And to a degree it kind of is, like putting all the pieces of the puzzle together. Um, But I think the reaction to that is going to come more in the finale when we watch Catherine trying desperately to help them (laughs) solve the puzzle. And instead the two of them are just chatting on the phone to each other and she has all the answers and she's trying to spoon feed them all the different pieces and they still can't get it done. Yeah, it's it's a very reverse mole moment. Maybe it's a reverse five mole, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Josh kind of lose his mind at that. And I feel like that might be in the show specifically because people probably knew by that point that Catherine was the mole. And so it's sort of like she's trying to maybe not necessarily divest Jim and Steven of the concept that she is the mole, but just get the audience not mm-hmm. thinking that so that they can be surprised again, which at that point, I don't know how well it worked because I feel like I, I knew Catherine was the mole at a certain point, but I also didn't watch TV with the same critical eye back then. And I sort of, I had the notion that Kate was the mole until she did the big dice roll thing. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, well, Charlie is so deeply unpleasant. Maybe he's just being the mole by being a dick all the he's time. He's just a mole in life. Yep. He's the mole of real life. Um, <laughs> but I think by around the point where by around the point where Charlie was getting eliminated, I sort of felt like there's four people left and three of them have something very obvious in common and mm-hmm. one of them does not. And it seems like with her background, she'd be a very good mole. Sure. So it made sense to me. And I wasn't terribly surprised when when the news came out. But I was not like anything like Josh in episode two being like, I bet it's Catherine. And we're just like, no. Wild. Wild. It's wild. All right. So we have a kind of a broad strokes question from Natalia, who wants to know, how does this cast rank compared to other reality TV casts? Hmm. Well, I I appreciate that, excuse me, especially this early, um, we have two queer people on the show in a mm-hmm. cast of only 10 people. Um, and that it, there's it's not made a big deal. They're just people. And that is a factor of who they are. 
which is what it is actually like in real life. Yes. So imagine. Like um, you don't go around like trumpeting, hey, I'm queer. Right. Hi. Sometimes hi. You nice do to meet for you. Fun, yeah. But yeah. So nice to meet you. I'm occasions. queer. Yeah. Wow. Look at this queer hamburger I'm eating. And uh, wow, I'm going to go get some queer soda. <laughs> yeah. It, it's not really like that. Right. Um, so as I think we discussed very early on in the show, the diversity of the people and the like non-stereotypicalness of them, I think is really great, especially for the era that we have Kate, the investor, who's a woman and the single dad, Manuel or Manuel. I don't like to, <laughs> I hate to say it. Yeah. There's a guy um, on Tough as Nails this season called Lewis. Uh-huh. And it's spelled like Luis and it trips me up every Ooh, time. And it's like, yeah, this, it's, this is Manuel and Manuel all over yeah, again. Yeah, all over again. <laughs> His legacy lives on. Um, so from that standpoint, I think it's pretty great. And they're all solid characters for sure. There's nobody who's just sort of a bland blank slate, I don't think. Yeah, there's nobody where you're like, why is this person here? And there's nobody that obviously feels like they're trying to cast somebody from another franchise. Maybe Charlie a little bit feels like he's trying, they're trying to cast a Rudy. Mm -hmm. But it turns out there's really, that's a kind of archetype that is going to die. It's going to go away. And I feel like for the most part, they did get very like they developed the cast really well. You really know who all these people are and they do get a great cross section of people. There are, that being said, there are a few moments, especially I think in the episode we're going to discuss next week Mm -hmm. where I'm just like, I can't believe they showed this on TV and it really was another era, Mm -hmm. especially some of the things that come out of Charlie's mouth in the next episode. Yeah. But they also paint the picture that, Maybe he should not be saying those things and right. not sort of, ah, ha, ha, look at the old man throwing around slurs. Hilarious. Isn't he cute? Uh, which yeah. I think you kind of got a little bit of in Survivor at the time. Mm-hmm. But agreed. you see Jim's Definitely reaction. Agreed. You see Jim's reaction to that slur in the moment. He's like, I'm going to go kick his ass. And he has to be mm-hmm. held back. So that's, it is progressive. And you do sort of get, I feel like, I feel like Jim and Jennifer are kind of on this in this sort of pantheon with, I would say Richard Hatch and teen Guido as like, you know, they're just regular people that also happen to be gay. And it's just, it's just a thing. And you guys don't have to make a big deal out of it. And it doesn't have to be like capital L learning experience. It's just like you hung out with these people and they were cool. And wow. Who you had sex with didn't come up with because you weren't really having that deep conversation. <laughs> not exactly relevant. Yeah. 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 So I, I do love that. Um, you really get these leaps forward when you're casting reality shows in this era of just sort of representation with a, you know, a lowercase letter and a period and not an exclamation point. Mm-hmm. So I, I do love that. Uh, and I, I think the next season you have too many people. Like we're going to get into it in season two, but there are, it, it feels like the cast is overloaded. 10 yeah, people was the go, right number. We go from 10 to what, like 14 or something. Yeah. It's yeah. a lot. Yeah. And it's I don't like remember. If you have enough, if you yeah. have the characters, then have the characters and you don't need to just put more people for the sake of there being more people. Yeah. It, 
it is um it's it's too much there's a certain number of people that you could keep track of in your head mm-hmm. and i think survivors kind of gotten to this point where they bring you more people with the idea that they don't care about some of them and you won't care about some of them right and i think the early seasons of these reality shows assume you're going to be able to keep these people straight in your head and you're going to want to root for each one of them individually. And over time they've gotten away from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, think about how sad we were after the first episode. And I think part of that is because there's only 10 people. So you have some time and he gets his airtime. We get to see him have a story and this dream of spending the night out in Paris. Um, in a way that you don't get with a lot of first boots on a show that has 16 or 20 people. Yeah. And they give him this montage like he died. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, yes. Remember 12 hours ago. Remember yesterday when he jumped out of a plane. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really hilarious uh, that they try to manipulate your emotions that way. Although I'm really excited for next week so we can talk about how Charlie's montage is mostly just him getting knocked over by the bull. <laughs> Not a ton of kind words from the unholy trinity. Yeah, they're they're trying. They're trying really hard. And you get that in a couple of the montages. He's not the only one, but this is the one where are like, well, Charlie was definitely a contestant on this program. <laughs> he definitely played this game with him, and it turns out he's not the mole. Right. He was here, and now he is gone. Now he is no longer here. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's probably about all the feedback that we necessarily need to cover, Zed. But are there any more broad strokes, spoiler comments you want to make before we have to go back to pretending that we don't know who the mole is? I don't think so. We're getting close. We've got two more weeks of season one of this show, followed by maybe another feedback show, depending on if it feels warranted after having just done this one. Uh, But I'm looking forward to finishing up and seeing Josh's reactions to the clues he was supposed to so obviously see um, although maybe he won't be as outraged by them as I initially was since he so so clearly knows who the mole is. Uh, just bummed he didn't have more like wild takes about other people being the mole because that would have been so enjoyable for us. Um, yeah, or, when at I, least when some, <laughs> or at least some like granular weird ass out of nowhere clues that are along the lines of what the mole actually put in the show. Right. Like, even it's if so he, hard to anticipate yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but he's a lost I, watcher. I feel like yeah. he's primed oh, for that. Sure. That's a good point. Uh, when I watched this with a roommate years ago, uh, she changed her opinion on who the mole was about halfway through each episode. Uh, <laughs> so it was really enjoyable to watch her talk herself in and out of who was the mole on a regular basis. Uh, so maybe next season, Josh will be less sure and that'll be exciting. Yeah, I think you do also get to a point next season where you kind of know and everybody kind of knows, but it is a lot more enjoyable. And you know what the sad thing was? I was kind of doing the math in my head. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be 2021 before we're able to we expose. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. 
It's That's so long from now. It's really not that long, but it's so long from now. It's it's too long. I, I really, it's like, mm-hmm. I want him to just, I want to just like have a weekend where we just like watch the episode, do the recording, watch the episode, do the recording. But then right. the listening public will still have to wait until 2021 to watch, um, to watch Josh react to Tiny Bubbles. And who knows what would happen to the podcast a la when Down the Hatch recorded eight days in a row or whatever it was to finish out 2019. And we got DJ drinks on me every single week for like two months. Yeah. I don't want that for us. I don't want that for us either. But I do want to get to tiny bubbles. I do too. It's really maybe the greatest moment of early 2000s TV. An iconic, iconic moment of television. Never to be duplicated. Nope. So I guess that about wraps it up for us. I did want to give a little bit of shout out uh, while you're on the reality TV rehab ups network. Um, I want to give a little shout out to some of our other coverage because we are covering a lot of really amazing shows um, out there. There's some, there's some survivor and big brother coverage that makes it into reality TV rehab ups. Basically rehab ups is a channel that is for all of the content um, that Rob does not partake of, even though in some cases he probably should. So if Rob's not on it and it's on the RHEP network, chances are it winds up in wrap ups. Uh, but one of the amazing shows that we are covering starting this week um, is Love Island. Uh, worldwide sensation Love Island is back for season two in the U.S. And this unique dating show gives you the power to vote for your faves all season long. And it's really amazing how they've put that all together. They're filming it in an isolation in a hotel and that I think is going to be interesting enough to watch, but uh, the show is airing on CBS. Uh, it started up this Monday, so you can catch up fast. And season two will have a new level of chaotic energy with the introduction of Casa Amore. Oh. A new twist that will test the Islanders' connections like never before. So that is hosted by our good friends Kirsten McInnes and Brian Scally. They'll have coverage every Wednesday and Saturday with recaps that will take the show even less seriously than it takes itself. <laughs> All this show podcasting is made possible with the support of the RHAP patrons. And you can get access to our patron podcast feed, our Facebook, our Discord communities, much more by visiting robhaswebsite.com slash patron. So we hope you will join us in the patron community. We have a lot of fun there. Yeah, do it. Join us. That's how I got here. Here I am. And, and now you're listening to me. Yes. And now we have you and we're happy. Um so, Zed, I want to thank you again for bringing this podcast into our lives. Um, the squeaky wheel in this case did indeed get some very satisfying grease. Yeah. Uh, if any of you joined us after the preview show or have since forgotten, the reason this podcast came about is because maybe in the wiggle room or somewhere else that Josh was podcasting, which could be many, many places, uh, someone was going to say, oh, it's like on the mole when, and Josh went, no, no, stop, stop. I haven't seen it. I want to watch it. I've managed to not be spoiled for 20 years. I want to watch the show. Um, and I had been thinking how fun it would be for RHAP to cover it, even though it's a 20-year-old reality show. And I was like, great, there's the end. This is what we're going to do. Uh, and so then anytime Josh would mention Mole Patrol in any of his other <laughs> podcasts, I took that as an excuse to bother him on Twitter and say, hey, Josh, have you watched the mole yet? Are you going to watch the mole? You should watch the mole. Uh, I did check in with him at one point and I was like, if this is getting annoying, I will stop. 
but I'm committed to the bit until told otherwise. And I called Josh, Josh committed to the bit wiggler after he spent $50 on British candy for the killing Eve podcast. (laughs) So in true Josh fashion, I stayed committed to the bit and now here we are. Yeah. I feel like Josh is nothing if not committed to the bit. Um, So Josh will be back with us next week. Uh, He, he has a lot going on and we appreciate that he takes the time to bring this joy into everyone's lives. Uh, so we wanted to give him as much time off as he needed. Um, and, but we will be certainly happy to have him back as we resume our coverage of the mole next week. Um, if you have more feedback, more questions you want to ask, if you want to save them for the end, or you have written some song parodies, which we are going to have a mole off at some point. Uh, so you know, questions, comments, song parodies, uh, weird cameos of people that haven't been on The Walking Dead for five years. Oh, wait, that's me sending that to Josh. Um, <laughs> you can direct all of that to our email address that goes to me and Zed, but not Josh, at molepatrol at robhasawebsite.com. And we will either answer you ourselves or maybe address your comments on a future episode. And we appreciate all of the feedback. This has been one of the most interactive podcasts I've ever done. And it's been a true joy. Yeah, super fun. And thank you to those of you who have already in a timely fashion sent us feedback for episode seven. We can't wait to get to episode seven. We will do that next week. Uh, and look forward to chatting with you all on Twitter at Hard Rock Hope. Uh, Jess is at Haymaker Hattie. If you want to talk to Josh, not about the mole, he's at Round Howard. That's where we are. That's where you can find us. Join us in the patron group. Come hang out. We we love y'all. And we missed you last week. And now we're back. Yep. So happy to be back in the saddle again. Uh, Please continue to send all your great feedback to us. Do not bother Josh. And thank you to everybody for continuing to not spoil Josh about the mole. Um, it's a 2020 miracle. It's really the one of the tiny little balls of light and hope in this total trash fire of a year. So continue to make that a happy place for us. Um, so I guess until next week. Uh, we are Brooklyn Zed and Jessica Lees, and we're signing off. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.